Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com. Having that one support person in your life, who, no matter who it is, could be a mentor, could be a coach, could be your spouse, so vitally important because if you don't quit, you win in this business. Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff. Hello, Best Ever listeners. Welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Ash Patel, and I'm with today's guest, Corey Peterson. Corey is joining us from Phoenix, Arizona. He is the owner and CEO of Kahuna Investments, where Corey strives to provide his investors with stable cash flow returns and long-term capital appreciation by buying multifamily apartments. Corey's portfolio consists of 10 multifamily student units with 3,200 beds valued at over $250 million. Corey, thank you for joining us. And how are you today? I am wonderful, my friend. Wonderful. Corey, before we get started, can you give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? Yeah, I started off as a used car salesman. I found real estate. I got the download from the mothership at the age of 32, and I just fell in love with the business, or at least the idea of the business. Started off as a wholesaler, moved into single family fix and flip, learned how to raise private money early because back in 2009, there was no loans to get. So you had to go find and be resourceful to get private money. By the way, that's my best gift that I learned how to do. That's the big separator. And I think multifamily apartments versus single family is the ability to raise capital. And I did that fix and flip till 2011 when that business started to run out. The short sales and the REOs were gone. And from there, I was like, I got to find another vehicle because I had all this capital that was saying, put me to work. And one day I drove by an apartment complex and I used to say, I wish I could own an apartment. And that day I said, how can I own an apartment complex? And once I framed the question right, I went to work, I found a mentor. A year later, I bought my first apartment. I bought it for $3.2 million in Greenville, South Carolina, kept that property for five years 
And I sold it for $8.8 million. And I was well on my way to the multifamily scene. And now fast forward, we have 10 active projects, $250 million worth of value. And we love what we do. And one of the things we've done this year that I think as far as where we're going, I'll call it operational excellence. So we just vertically integrated our property management company. And that has been very interesting, my friend. Corey, the $3.2 million, what did you do to add over $5 million in value other than time? We fixed all the broken problems. So this was a property 1970s build. So we did the refresh around the exterior. We put about a million dollars of CapEx into it. Now, that's not a lot of money, but we put it in the right areas. It needed new roofs. We needed a slurry restripe. We refreshed the front office. But more importantly, what we did was we got rid of the riffraff. We had a drug problem at this property. It was very apparent where it was and the location of it. And we had a courtesy officer from the Malden Police Department, and he knew where it was too. And one day we were just having a conversation, and I was like, dude, we got to get rid of this problem. I'm like, don't you guys have drug dogs? Yeah, we do, Corey. I said, would you guys like to have a training event at my property? We would love to do that, Corey. Is this like the school where the dog goes by all the lockers? I swear, man. So we arranged for the Malden police to come and we put notices on all the doors saying that we're having Malden police. They're going to bring their drug dogs and they're doing some training. And we had two move out in the middle of the night. Ash, those two were the problem. As soon as they left, The whole community comes back into the office saying, thank you, thank you, thank you. They all knew where it was at, but they were not going to narc on them. So as soon as we got rid of that element, it was amazing. And then you start doing your rehab, your refresh program. And we started changing the community from the inside out. And when we did that, we were able to attract a whole different tenant. Basically, we did it by raising the rents that much because when we started to improve the value that way, it was exponential. And then with a little bit of market luck, right? So when we went to sell, what I believe that sells and makes really profitable properties is clean, steady, rising income. So by that fifth year, your first year, you're rehabbing, fixing it. The second year, you're fixing your tenant base. Your third, fourth, and fifth year, you should be really trying to maximize operations where we don't have a lot of inconsistency. When you have consistent, steady income, guess who will overpay? Everybody. Because they want an easy button. And we effectively created an easy button. And we sold it for four cap. That's incredible. Corey, I love that advice about clearing out drug dealers. Because I know a lot of apartment owners that will pay for police to sit in their parking lot and higher security, but that strategy is brilliant. And I wonder, instead of telling them what day they're coming, just say throughout the next several weeks, we're going to have police drug dogs coming through here. That would be amazing. (laughs) (laughs) What, What a great strategy. You're heavily concentrated on student housing. Why? We got into it and it was a niche piece. So we were in it before COVID and we were doing well. And then COVID came and ripped our wind out of our sails for a minute. It was been a tough two years during COVID. But I also identified where is blood in the streets? And I believe when things are bad, that's when you should be buying. So because it was bad, I was listening, we need to make a heavier concerned effort because we could probably pick up some right properties. 
And that's exactly what we did. So we went and pushed in all in for the next two years of buying really student assets. And we've done really well with them. Now that we're coming out of COVID and markets are back to normal, we are really seeing the benefit of that. Good for you. That was an incredible opportunity that nobody really saw at the time because we were all in this panic about the lockdown. And we saw those student housing prices just drop because they're vacant, right? Yes. So if you, if you can absorb that pain for who knows how long, you certainly benefited on the end. Well, now student housing is more competitive. How are you finding deals? Because everybody wants a piece of that. Yeah, it's like anything else. This is unfair. I believe this is totally unfair. It's broker relations. So anybody that says you can't find deals right now just because you don't have the right relationships with the right people, I will challenge you on any of that crap because that's not what happens. I found if I have great relationships, and I'm talking about when I call, it's not, hey, look at my deal, yada, yada, yada. I should be able to talk to that broker. I know his kids, his dog. I know what he likes to do for fun. I probably have him to my place. We've hang out. We are friends. When you get that relationship, it is unfair, Ash. So that's my angle is I am a relationship-based entrepreneur. I leverage my relationships and I have fun doing business with my friends. So to do that, one of the easiest questions I've ever learned is, Ash, what do you like to do for fun? So when I've made a basic contact with someone, I'm going to ask them what they do. Now, I've got to have a commonality, Ash, or it doesn't work. So if you said, well, I like golfing. I hate golfing. I hate golf. I suck at it. So tell me more about that. I'd be like, well, what else do you like to do? Right? <laughs> I would tell you, I found something. I had a genuine interest. I'd be like, oh, or you liked the Pittsburgh Steelers, whatever. I'd be like, okay, well, I like football. So who's your favorite Steelers guy? And I would get all into your Steelers. And when I'm calling you for the follow-up on a deal, Ash, our open is about the Steelers. And I probably, I Googled some stuff to figure out your guy or what's going on with the Steelers. So that's my conversation. Then when you have good friends, that's how normal conversations go. We talk about stuff and then we get down to business. And when you practice that tip, I'm telling you, it is magic. Do you have a CRM system where you keep notes on all these people? Of course, yes. I have multiple CRMs, but I typically use the one that most people will probably hate, which is Infusionsoft or Confusionsoft, which if you don't have a good builder, it can be quite cumbersome. But we also use Active Campaign for some other things like that for a sales process. But listen, I believe it takes five to seven good brokers. You don't have to have a hundred of them. You just have to have deep relationships with five to seven good brokers in the regions and the areas that you like to buy, and they will keep you fed for life. How many brokers do you have to go through to get the five to seven good ones? 50 to hundred until you find the connection. The goal is, and listen, brokers are easy because they work for free until you transact. So understanding that that's the game and that's how it works for them be very mindful of it. Don't waste their time and get on the inside. Let them talk about themselves. Everybody loves talking about themselves. Let them do it. Ask them about their career. How are they doing? What have they done lately? I'm telling you, you should be so focused on what they do. Don't even think about yourself and what you're trying to get out of. Just focus on them and those relationships will percolate. And then I believe in giving experiences. So 
for me, I'm an avid Jeep guy. I'm in Arizona. We go wheeling, off-road, weird stuff. My Jeep can do crazy stuff. I make it a point to try to get them to come to my place so I can take them wheeling, something they've probably never done, and I give them an experience. And by the way, that's a six-hour in my Jeep round trip for the deal. We're having conversations. I'm giving them an experience he's probably never had. I'm going to let him drive the Jeep and get vertical and almost tip. And is this after a deal or is this initial preliminary conversation? This is whenever I've got the right relationship where I feel like I'm on the inside. I'm like, listen, we need to get together. Ash, we got to get together. When's your next time you're coming into Phoenix? Or I'll try to find ways. If he likes to shoot guns, anything that I really like to do, if I can find that angle, I'm coming into town. I'm going to go look at the properties. Let's go shoot some guns. Corey, advice for people that are inexperienced, don't have their first deal yet, but want those broker relationships. How do they penetrate that if they don't have a track record? How do they compete against people like you? Borrow someone else's. The one thing about this business, it's all about relationship-based. Find a mentor. This is why we go to events. Go find someone that you can be part of their team or find a way to get on their team. If you're brand new, the easiest way to get into a deal, in my opinion, is to get with someone else that's already doing deals and add value. So what is add value means find a deal and bring it to them. Then ask for permission to be part of their team. Can I borrow your stuff? Okay. So I want to reiterate a couple great pieces of advice that you gave. One is my first sales job. I was taught this. People love to talk about themselves. Best ever listeners. I need you to really hear that. Every job interview I went on, I won because I would always ask things like, how did you get into this business? How did you end up in Cincinnati? Are you from here? And the stories just go on and on. People love talking about themselves. And then the team, I think this is so important. People may make a lot of phone calls, a lot of attempts at getting deals from brokers, getting those inside deals. And they get frustrated because they don't have a track record. A broker asks, what's the last deal that you closed? What's the size of your portfolio? And that's where your advice about the team really comes in. Don't lie, don't fake it, but ask somebody if you can find deals for them, like you said, and you can now represent the team that I work with, my team. This is what we closed on last. This is what we're looking for. This is how much capital we're looking to deploy. So make yourself sound bigger than you are and make yourself appealing to all of those brokers. So great, great advice. Nobody has any excuse to not build broker relationships. Amen. It's one of the keys. The easiest way to get into deal is to find a really good deal. And then if you can't take it all the way home, find someone that can do it with you and partner up. That's really the game that I play in the apartment world. When I first started, I had partners. And most people that I know have partners on most deals. I still to this day have partners on deals. So it really is a team sport. And that's why going to your best ever conference is huge. That's a good way to go meet a bunch of people. And you find synergies. Believe it or not, this business is a lot simpler than we all think it is because it's really relationship-based. It's your partnership relationships. It's your broker relationships. It's your lender relationships. It's really a relationship-based. It's old school. And then the job is just to find the needles in the haystack. Corey, if you meet somebody at a conference and you just have a surface conversation, do you follow up with them and how often? I can't probably show you on this if you're listening right now, but I do handwritten cards. It is my signature move. I learned this from a long time ago. 
if I get somebody's card, now today everybody wants to give their digital card and usually in their digital card, they have a bunch of information anyways. But if I don't have it, I'll send them a text or an email saying, listen, if I wanted to send you something in the mail, where do I send it? I'll get the text. Here's the address. So then if I have a good conversation with somebody that I like, that's a good conversation on the back of the card, or I'll make a note in my notes in my phone, John Smith talked about yada, yada, yada. And that will trigger me. So when I go back after the conference, I'll sit with my stack of cards and I want to personalize and I'll write a handwritten note. Now I step it up, Ash, I have a whole process to do like a wax seal. And I have a glue gun, by the way, which has wax inserts to really step up my card. So when it comes in the mail, I personally write the address on the card. I put a live stamp and I have a wax seal on it. When you get that, you will remember me. I love that. So these old school tactics still work. To this day, I tell you, I send out as many cards as I can, staff, people, people that work for you. It could be your broker. And I'm telling you, I've gone to their office deal. And some people have a little place for all their personal stuff. And my card will be sitting up there. And it'll be sitting up there for years, my friend. And that wax seal, is that contain all the information that a business card would? No, the wax seal is just a wax stamp that just makes it look cool, right? Okay, so do you include a separate business card? Yes, I usually put my business card in there with my personal note. And are you a believer in digital business cards or do you still use paper? I use digital. I hate it because it's not personal, but I still just use that. And then I use that technology now. I like the paper cards with the QR code so I can just show them, but I still want them to have a card. Yeah. So I agree with you. And you know, what's funny, the best ever conference, a lot of high level real estate investors, everybody has paper cards, maybe 5% of the people there have the QR codes. And to me, that's annoying because I want to physically put your card information into my CRM. If I scan your QR code, you're automatically in my phone. And at the end of the conference, it's like, wait a minute, who are all the new people? You got to sort through that. You can export that list to a CRM and then you can be able to sort that out. That's what we currently do. I still hate it, but that's what everybody seems to be going to. So that's fine. And I have a QR code as well, but I do like to give out my personal card with the QR code there. So if they want to put it in their phone, they can. But what I've learned is when it gets in my phone, I have to immediately put something that it's an identifier. So I'll put best ever. If I'm at the best ever conference, In the company section, usually, which is not filled out, I'll put best ever. So I can type in best ever and everybody that I met from best ever will show up. That's a little hack to figure out who did you talk to? BE. I don't want to type best ever. BE. Some type of code. So you can recall everybody that are in your contacts for BE. And then you'll be able to see who they are. Yeah. Great advice. And I'll share a hack that I started doing at the last best ever is I'm not fast enough to type in all these notes in my phone. So as I have a conversation with somebody, when I walk away, I take out my phone and hit the voice record button. And I just record a note about the person that I met or whatever, and later transcribe that. So it's just maybe not the most efficient, but a faster way. Now That's a great hack. That's actually, yeah. that's a good one. That's really good. <laughs> good. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to hey, take that one. That so, was, I didn't think about that. That's another way because that's the biggest thing, right? Is you're meeting people. How do you keep track of that? And anytime you get more systemized in your business and in your process, it usually yields to better results because you want to have better relations. 
We'll get back to the show with first some sponsors I'm confident you'll find value in learning more about. Are you tired of spending hours managing your rental properties? Inago is here to simplify your life as a landlord or property owner with their free property management software. With Inago, you can say goodbye to complex and costly solutions. Inago is designed with simplicity in mind, focusing on the features that matter to you. From tenant screening and lease signing to rent collection and work order management, Inago has got you covered. They offer a seamless interface and dedicated support representatives to assist you in every step of the way. Join thousands of satisfied landlords and start streamlining your property management tasks today with Inago. Plus, you'll get a $25 Amazon gift card just for using Inago. Visit inago.com forward slash best ever to get started and reclaim your time and sanity. That's I-N-N-A-G-O dot com forward slash best ever. Deciding how to invest your capital is more challenging than ever. That's why it's never been more important to partner with a company with a solid track record and that has thrived through various economic cycles. Companies like BAM Capital. BAM Capital is a trusted multifamily syndicator that has delivered a historical average of over 35% IRR with an average hold period of three and a half years. BAM Capital's never missed a preferred payment, never lost an LP's investment, and never called capital past the subscription amount. BAM Capital is currently raising capital for a fund designed for accredited investors targeting a 15 to 20% IRR and a 2 to 2.5x equity multiple to its investors over a three to five year hold period. If you're an accredited investor and you want to learn more about multifamily investment opportunities with BAM Capital, visit capital.thebamcompanies.com. Again, that's capital.thebamcompanies.com. Corey, you've given us some incredible advice on cultivating broker relationships. Can we pick your brain on raising capital? Sure. All right. So look, tremendous amount of sales experience. The first time you had to raise capital, how did you do it? I did it by accident. This is why I know it works. So I was a wholesaler trying to figure out how to do fix and flips. And I remember I was talking with this guy, Coral, and we played racquetball together. And I asked him for help. And I asked him, who did he know? Because I was wholesaling. I want to do a fix and flip, but I don't have the money for it. I'm like, surely you know somebody that would be interested. Like he's been watching what I did. So I went through my whole process with him. And I was like, let me know if you know anybody. Well, the next day, Carl calls me. He's like, Corey, do you still want to do that deal? And back in my mind, I was like, Carl found somebody. He goes, Corey, you don't know this, but my home is totally paid for. I can borrow money at 3%. You give me 12, I make a spread. How much money do you need? So Carl had self-selected. Now, when you're new, I always say, share the opportunity. Don't worry about the results and ask people, who do you know? In other words, I've got this project that I'm working on, and I think, Ash, you can provide a lot of referrals for me. Will you critically look at my pitch deck or my opportunity and poke some holes in it? Let me know if there's anything that doesn't make sense, because I want you to feel real confident and being able to give me some referrals to people you think might be interested in this. And I'm just telling you, the right people will always self-select. They're like, well, this looks good. I think I might be interested in it. And that's how I initially first started. Because when you're new, money is really weird at first. It's just a little different concept. Until you start getting confidence, then we're talking about money. It's okay. But sometimes to break that ice, what I found is asking people, who do you know? And sharing the opportunity 
that gets you the practice so you can practice drill and rehearse in giving your presentation. Interesting. So even if you're pitching somebody, you're kind of doing it in a less pressure way of saying, who do you know? So you're just presenting a deal and they have the option. You're not directly asking them and putting them on the spot. Right. I think that's important for anybody raising capital to understand is we don't sell, we don't pitch, we present. Yes, that's That's the goal. Yeah. If you have to call people up and say, I need $100,000 by next Friday to get this deal done, what do you got? I don't think that works. It smells desperate and people (laughs) can smell desperate. Now, the reason I say that in the beginning, because you got to develop, it's a muscle. When we're first doing this for the first time, we've not developed this capital raising muscle. So- I always believe in baby steps, baby steps, baby steps. So you pitching it and getting better at talking about your deal correctly, you'll start seeing the more confidence you get after you've done it the 15,000th time. You start getting where you're now, you know, you're good. People are nodding with you. Then you got them. So then eventually you you'd make the switch to where, listen, I'm going to share with my, my opportunity and it's still pass or play. But I'm not going to go back and say, who do you know? I'm going to be like, hey, listen, we're talking about this deal. I think you're the right person to do it. Let me go through the good, bads, and answer any of your questions. You or somebody you know may be interested. Corey, do you predominantly present these deals through email or phone? We try to group. As we've matured, we do webinars like probably everybody else. We drive people to a webinar, and then we open up the deal. But we still do a lot of one-on-one. So we initially open it up to everybody that's in our sphere. And then we start working on, we have a target list of the people that we want, our repeat investors, new investors that are coming in that we've identified that we've tagged in our CRM. Now, here's where I do it a lot different than anybody else, Ash. I raise capital different than anybody else that I know. And I will tell you this, I do not go to conferences to raise capital. And I say that with a lot of love, okay? (laughs) Because I go to best ever in conferences like that to make contacts of people that can find deals, to find relationships and partners and vendors and things that really work. When I'm raising capital, I track and target an avatar because we all believe that everybody's like us. Everybody's in real estate. And that is the farthest thing from the truth. My background is I used to be a financial advisor, Series 7 Edward Jones, stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. Is that why you called yourself a used car salesman earlier? I was a used car salesman. Okay. Okay. (laughs) Okay. I told you I didn't get the download from the mothership until I was 32, (laughs) Ash. Now then, and I didn't have a degree. So I either managed stuff or sold stuff. I sold cars for a long time. And that's where I learned my sales experience, by the way. And then I actually traded up, finally got a real job with Edward Jones. They said, if you pass this test, you can sell securities. (laughs) Great. I've never studied so hard to make a 72 in my life, but I passed. But Edward Jones taught me the money game. They taught me about rates of return. And guys, understand that most people that are in the stock market, they are getting a 6 to 8% return. That is what every broker would say to their mother, what's a solid return? 6 to 8. Here on our side, we're trying to give people 18 to 20 plus. If I told that to this avatar, they would immediately run out the back door because they would consider it so risky. So I don't even pitch it like that. And I've been able to raise a lot cheaper capital because I understand my avatar. I try to go after people that are in the stock market. 
In fact, our tagline is Kahuna Investments. We're an alternative to the stock market. Because a lot of people think that they, they do. It's a roller coaster. They want to get off and they want a solid return. So we've termed a program we call our six and six method. We give a 6% PREF and then we give another 6% on the back end annualized for every year they've been in the deal, which is like a 12% cash on cash return. That's it. I like that. That's creative. Another great piece of advice that you shared is know your audience. Years ago, I had a conversation, and this is before I started raising capital, a doctor at a retirement party, friend of ours, and he's like, gosh, you're in real estate. I'd love to invest. Sure. What kind of returns are you looking for? He's like, 6 to 8% would be great. And I'm like, 6 to 8%? My passive investments make 20%. And I lost him because he thought that was too good to be true, too risky. I had this conversation with him, and he didn't even want to talk about it. So had I followed the conversation and said, yeah, let's work together. Let's find a deal, blah, blah, blah. I could have gotten very, very cheap money. Yeah. So that's the point, right? I always say the first cycle, it's six and six. I don't even say 12, right? I can do six and 10 or six and 12. I can make it be a total return of 18. But the first six was what they are. They're already picked six to eight, right? So I'm like, guys, that's your paycheck. That's your quarterly distribution that we're going to be trying to reach and obtain over the period of this project. I said, if it just did that, it would be great. Yeah. What else can you invest in in the stock market right now that's a 6% payer that can pay you a quarterly distribution? And they're like, I don't know of anything. And I'm like, me neither. So that makes sense. And they're like, yep, great. I said, now, tenants expect rents to go up. And guess what, Ash? We never disappoint them. (laughs) We always raise the rents. When we do that, we're raising the value of the property. We do this over a five to seven year period of time we've created a lot more value of that property. So when we do exit and sell, we're going to share that additional profit with you. And that's where you get that extra money on the end. So I've kind of broken it up in two separate things in their mind and they get that. And I always talk dollars. I don't talk about IRR. Those are not sophisticated, even though I'm telling you, they have millions of dollars. My avatar is a business owner that has 25 employees or more. When you have 25, you have a real business, you're busy, you're running your business. And most of those guys have a financial advisor. That's where they go. They do not know people like us and they're too busy, but they know real estate probably is a place for it. So that's our target is those types of people. And I want to repeat your advice. We all make the assumption that everyone is a real estate investor. People are just in our world and they're really not. Most very successful business people are experts at their business, but not experts in growing wealth or managing wealth. A lot of doctors, lawyers, same thing. They're experts at their craft, but never took the time or may not have the inclination to learn about how to invest money. So such great advice. I want to circle back. You and I could probably just talk for hours and hours, but you mentioned something earlier about you started vertically integrating your management company. Tell me more about that, please. Best thing we've done in 2023, because it survived 25. Look, listen, am I affected? It has not been pleasant for anybody that's in the business right now. It's the rapid increase of the interest rates. Not that interest rates went up. It's that it went up so rapidly. We were all doing bridge loans. I've got bridge loans still on the books that we're trying to get rid of. So the drive to operational excellence has been so intense for us to make sure that we got to meet our deadline because these things are ticking time bombs when these rate caps go out. 
So you should know when your rate caps are going out, you've got to make sure your properties are performing so you can get out of that debt. So when we took an internal look at our whole organization, we are to the size now where it makes sense. We asked ourselves the question of if we did take operations internally, would it help hinder or profit? And we did it within my team and we said, we think it will profit. Well, what do we need? What pieces do we need and can we afford it and what will it look like? And overall, we just said we did. So we built a accounting team. We already had a really strong controller. So that was our first piece is we knew we had to have solid accounting vertical. Once we got that developed, we then felt confident because we had a good enough team members for our asset manager that we've helped build our property management team as far as regionals and uh, senior vice presidents and that staff there to require to manage the people. And we already had internally good people, but they weren't our employees yet. So we had to make sure that most of them were going to come on board. And we did that by flying all of them to our corporate. Corey, this was a third-party management company that you were using. Correct. So did you just poach their employees? I will consider them my employees at that time. So yes, we were going to cancel. And so the goal was to make them want to stay with us. So all I did was, hey, listen, guys, you guys can request off and you're coming to Kahuna. And we're going to talk about what we're going to do and we're going to pitch what our vision is. And what I realized is they wanted vision and culture and a place that mattered. So we got around 90% of them. Some of them still left, which was okay. So you were able to test drive these employees essentially before you hired them. We already knew what they were doing, right? So they're already working out our assets. What we wanted to is to say, guys, we're going to do it a little differently. We're going to put a little bit more structure. And we started talking about profitability, P&Ls. Every third-party management company out there, and I said I would never do this, Ash. I said I would never manage, be a property management company. And yet, I feel like it's the godfather story. As soon as I get out, they bring me back in. But looking back at it now, we're now six months into property management. Best decision ever. What was the biggest pain point? Losing the staff, losing a couple of key property managers. Initially, we thought it was going to be the day of, oh, I'm not going. They kind of led us to believe and all of a sudden, oops. But my team was so agile and we plan on some things breaking. So we're like, if this is going to happen, you're parachuting. We had a couple of call them parachutes, right? You're going to parachute into that property. You're going to be the property manager until we find somebody. So we had a couple of people that were ready to deploy for that just in case. And we did. But because we're so much more agile, leaner, we found people quickly and we found good people. What is one thing you wished you did differently in that transition? I don't have that answer yet because I'm still so far into it. I feel like we did it the best that we could. And I'm okay with that. It's still a little bit clunky. This is straight up entrepreneurship 101. Jump out of the airplane, build the parachute. That's kind of how it felt like. And we come back and looked at it. I looked at my team and we just had our weekly conference. We're like, We've come a long way. And now we're all about SOP. So we follow a book called Traction, Level 10, having the right people in the right seats, making sure we're all rowing and congruent. So we're big on SOPs. We keep developing more and more SOPs as we go forward. And that's what's going to create an award-winning property management company. Yeah. Listen, Corey, we can go on and on about this. At some point, I'd love to have you back and deep dive about transitioning the property management back in-house. Um, so if you're up for that, I would love to invite you back for that. Yeah, we've got uh, lots of stories on that, Ash. I'm telling yeah, you, I, right? I bet there's a lot of lessons learned. 
but a lot of people are a slave to their property management company. And if they're not as big as you are, maybe they're limited in the number of PM companies that would actually take them on. So I think you could share an incredible number of lessons on that. But let's wrap this thing up. Let's hear your best real estate investing advice ever. My best real estate investing advice ever is to never quit. I cannot tell you how many times that I felt like I was inadequate, not capable, not worthy. Somehow I had a wonderful wife that told me that I was. I had one support system that I could go to. And having that one support person in your life, who no matter who it is, could be a mentor, could be a coach, could be your spouse, so vitally important because if you don't quit, you win in this business. Corey, you ready for the best ever lightning round? Yes. All right, Corey, what's the best ever book you recently read? A CEO does three things by Trey Taylor, people, culture, and numbers. Great book. I used a hiring process in that book that's created. Phenomenal book. And if you want to elevate yourself to a different level, because there's levels to the game. When I first started, it was like, I just want to replace my paycheck. Now we're building an award-winning company and it's different. So I've got to level up as the CEO to do that. So learning and developing CEO skills is something that's new to me. So where do you get those informations? You start feeding your mind with books. And that is a great, phenomenal book that will help guide you a little bit. Corey, what's the best ever way you like to give back? Charity. And this will go back into probably a way to raise money. And don't do it to raise money. But this is what happens. I'm in a group called the Chandler Compadres here in Arizona. I got into it because they give back to local kids' charities. And it took me a couple of years to get into this group. You have to be kind of selected. I put in the time. But when I went and joined this charity, I put in the work, Ash. I just got Rookie of the Year. This is my second year in the business. I got Rookie of the Year because I put in the work. Now, the relationships, these are guys that have seven-figure businesses, all of them. But I did it because we gave away $2 million to our local charities. $1 million went to our local Chandler Boys and Girls Club. When they get these checks, they cried. And to be part of something way bigger than yourself. So find a charity that you love and then don't just give money. Get involved. Get into the seat. Get into a chair. You will grow so much through that and you'll make some great friends. Corey, how can the best ever listeners reach out to you? The best way is to go to our website, kahunainvestments.com, get into the deal room, click the button, or check us out. We have a podcast where we teach what we do, all these little nuggets I've been giving you, multifamily legacy podcast. Corey, I got to thank you for your time today. We had a great conversation. You shared a ton of valuable advice. Best ever listeners, listen to this podcast a couple times because there was so much incredible knowledge given on this. So thank you for your time today, Corey. Thanks a lot, Ash. Appreciate it, brother. Awesome. Best ever listeners, thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a five-star review. Share this podcast with someone you think can benefit from it. Also, follow, subscribe, and have a best ever day. Hi, best ever listeners. Joe Fairless here again. And one last thing before you go, would you like to receive a short weekly email with proven tips from experienced investors, free tools and resources, and a roundup of the week's most relevant news and best ever content? Well, if so... Join the community of nearly 15,000 commercial real estate passive and active investors who receive the best ever newsletter. Just go to besteverCRE.com forward slash access and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoyed this episode. And as always, thank you for listening and have a best ever day.